So today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 20 and 21, the continuing saga about the faith journey of Abraham, Sarah and Hagar. And Andrew's given us an extra, or an excellent introduction to that today. But um, the question that he half inferred, I want to ask you, because tomorrow night on our TV a new series begins called Web of Lies. And in the write-up in the TV guide, it mentions the fact that the actual participants in the program don't know the truth. It's kind of a who-done-it sort of program, but nobody really knows who's telling the truth and who's kidding. So that's why they've called it Web of Lies. Now, it was Shakespeare who wrote, Oh, what a tangled web we weave. When first we practice to deceive. Now, I'm not too sure what it is about you and I, but why is it that we lie? Why do we think that's okay? And why do we accept lies that really are part of our culture? And we don't challenge those lies. Now I'm not too sure who the first person was who told you a lie. And what is it that scares us into lying? Why are we afraid of the truth? Why are we afraid of being honest? Now I'm not too sure who the first person was that you remember who deliberately lied to you. And how old would you, when you're aware of that, that that person lied to me? Now the first conscious recollection that I have of a person lying to me was my primary school teacher, an infant teacher, and she lied to me and I told her. Now that doesn't win any merit points with a teacher. The second person that I'm most conscious of lying to me was my father who is a Christian, a leader in our church, a spiritual person. And I was about 10 or 11 at the time and I had had a friend staying for the May school holidays and he had a, uh, a small yacht And part of a farm that my father had acquired that adjoined his first property had this huge dam on it. Now I was a person who was susceptible to getting pneumonia. So dad to try and keep us away from water and sailing this yacht told me, he said that the man that he had bought this farm from had gone out onto this dam in his canoe and he couldn't find out how deep it was, so he said, I don't want you going there. Now, I believe my dad. Now, I went past that dam in the middle of summer and there wasn't a stitch of water in it. And I was outraged to think that my father had chosen to deliberately lie to me It was nearly two kilometres from where that dam was to our house and I ran home. And we actually had a a laneway roadway down part of our farm 
and there were some sheep in that. And I don't know if you've ever tried to catch a sheep, but that day I outran those sheep and passed them. I was just so angry that this man, my father, had chosen to lie and knew that he lied. And so I ran home just so angry and said, why did you lie to me? He said, well, you know, he says, I wanted to keep you away from the water. So the fear of me perhaps getting pneumonia was greater than the fear of God, so he lied. (coughs) What effect does a lie have on you? Now, I don't know how many of you have been cheated or lied to or deceived or conned. And how do you react? (coughs) How do you react? How do you feel? Now, there's a whole lot of lies that you and I accept that we just leave unchallenged. And... uh, we kind of think that we have the freedom to choose what we want, to do what we like as long as we don't help hurt anyone else. And you know that's not true. But that's what our society tells us. That's a popular mentality. You can choose what you want and do what you want as long as you don't hurt someone. And that's a lie. But we accept it. Lies about marriage. A marriage can be between any two people that only needs to last as long as both are still happy. And there's lots of folk in our society who believe that. You may be one of those. You only have to stay married as long as you're happy. And when you're not happy, well, you change models. And we accept that as a society as normal. But it's not true, it's a lie. Another lie in our culture, Christian belief, faith is a private matter. You can believe what you like, but keep it to yourself. But that's a lie. Faith is more than a private matter. Belief system is more than something that is private because it's going to permeate and affect who we are and what we are and what we do. It's not just private. It bubbles over into other areas of our life. And then there's the issue of the media and entertainment, Facebook, Twitter. And we think these tools are okay as long as they fulfil our personal desires. Now, if you're a parent and you've got a kid that's 11, 12, 13, 14, you try and take away their iPad or or Android or whatever and see what happens. To stop them working this jolly thing all night. Now, that's in our media. That kids hardly sleep at night because they're on Facebook, Twitter, blogging or whatever. And they will tell you it's okay because I want it. But it affects them. It affects their mentality. It moulds them. And we just accept it in our society. 
Portsmouth University study reported that in the Journal of Non-Verbal Behaviour suggested professionals can separate truth from lies by counting the number of blinks and when a person actually blinks. So they did a study. The co-author, Dr Sharon Neal, said, research has identified striking differences in the behaviour of liars. So do you know that you can actually tell if a person lies by their eyes? Did you know that? Might frighten you into not lying. So the blinking pattern gives you away. So they said that you can prove that you've been told a lie, a porky, by the number of blinks. Now, according to this research, liars will hold your gaze while fibbing and then flutter their eyelids. Blinking eight times faster than usual. So let's imagine I'm going to ask Lee, how old are you? Then tell me a porky. <laughs> and watch his eyes. Or perhaps ask their lady, how old are you? And after what they've said, what they've said, watch their eyes. How quickly do they blink? There are things that give us away. And so uh, Stephen up here, and he said that sexes lie with equal frequency, but women are better liars than men due to their superior language skills. So ladies, you're better at doing this. And it says women are more likely to fib to make someone feel better. Because you want to help a person feel good. And a way of doing that often is to tell a lie. Now men do it to make themselves look better. See, we're egotists. And we want to look good in your eyes. And so we'll lie to you. Flat out. Now this is a story about lie tellers today. So let's read the Bible. So from Genesis 20, verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Giar, where Abraham said to, of his wife Sarah, She's my sister. Lie. Then Abimelech, the king of Giar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You're as good as dead, man, because the woman you have taken, she's a married woman. Imagine if God told you when you're going to take somebody else's wife or daughter. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she say, he's my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I've kept you from sinning against me. That's why I did not let you touch her. 
but now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. Now this is a prophet that lies. My dad was an elder and he lied. And he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. So this is serious stuff. Very serious. So, early next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, see, he's, he's, he's open, he's transparent, he's honest. They were afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Now see how he tries to excuse it, to downplay it? Abraham's an interesting character. Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and that will kill me because of my wife. You know, he's going to save his own skin, so he lies. He wants to make himself look good. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you will show you love me. You'll lie for me. Everywhere you go, you'll say, he is my brother. Now, how many of you have heard this? If you truly love me, this is what you'll do. And what you're being asked to do is wrong. If you love me, you'll do it. You know, we had a girl come to us and she was a most distressed person. She was engaged to be married to a man who was not of her faith persuasion. And the night before they were to be married, he said to her, if you truly love me, we can sleep together tonight. See the catch. If you love me, you'll prove it by doing something wrong. And so she did. You know, he never fronted for the wedding the next day. All he wanted was to get that girl between the sheets. And he deceived her, he conned her, he manipulated her by saying, if you love me, this is what you'll do. And she fell into that trap. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham and he returned Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, My land is before you, live wherever you like. But notice what he says to Sarah. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother. See, he's rubbing it in, isn't he? And he's right. I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. It's amazing. This guy is making a peace treaty. He's not the one who's done the wrong. He's been sinned against. But he is making a peace treaty between this deceiving couple. 
Now that sounds a wee bit like the New Testament, doesn't it? And Andrew talked about this morning, I have a problem. And Jesus is the one who we've sinned against. And he's the one that makes a peace treaty with us. And the things that would damn us. Colossians says, he took out of the way by nailing it to his cross. He made peace by the blood of his cross. The one who's been wronged is the peacemaker. And this is what happens in this incident in the life of Abraham and Sarah. So Abimelech goes on, This is to cover the offence against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his slave girls, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. Why was Abraham so scared? What propelled him to lie? And I ask myself that question. What is it, why is it, that makes us lie? Why do we do that? You see, you know the history of what's been going on in Abraham's life and God had given his promises. Just in the last chapter he gave him a promise to him and to Sarah. At this time next year you're going to have a son. God's promise, he had reaffirmed that, repeated that. Uh, and so, surely they'll get it. But uh-uh. The promise of God gets lost, doesn't it? It doesn't really take hold in his mind and in his heart. He's more afraid of men than he is of God. So chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah and as he had said, as God had said, this verb is often used in the context to focus on God's attentive care and concern. God was gracious. In one sense, Abraham and Sarah are ratbags. But how does God deal with them? How does he deal with us? Now if he had dealt with them perhaps in the way that you and I would prefer, I'm not too sure, but I'm not too sure that would react like God. If somebody's lied to you, conned you and deceived you, and now you know it, would you be like me and go to my father and say, I'm just so angry. I didn't feel like being gracious, I can tell you. I felt like hitting him in the jaw. But I'm only a kid and he, he was a man, so that's an unwise thing to do to your dad. But see, God's gracious. And just as he was gracious to Abraham and Sarah, that's still the way he treats us. You know, the psalmist wrote, if you dealt with us according to our sins, who could stand? None of us. But with God there is forgiveness. So God's gracious to this couple. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. She became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son Sarah bore to him. 
amazing, isn't it? Now, I don't know what your track record was like. I have no idea. But God knows all about our track records. And God will deal with us like he dealt with Abraham and Sarah. He wants to be gracious to us, forgiving to us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Well, the story goes on. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now this is 25 years after he's left his hometown and become a pilgrim. 25 years later, and God had said that he's going to have all these descendants and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed for him. It takes 25 years to have this promise fulfilled. I'm not sure what John Tate would have done. He had to wait 25 years for a drum of petrol. (laughs) But, you know, that's a long time to wait, isn't it? And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears will laugh with me. This is one happy husband and wife. They've got a baby son. And Sarah added, Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Agar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. Now what's going on here? Now Ishmael means God hears. See, here's another kid born in a way that was wrong. See, God had said to Abraham and Sarah, you know, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. But she doesn't really believe it, neither does Abraham. Just think, this is beyond possibility. And so Sarah says, listen, why don't you take this slave girl, this Egyptian girl, which he'd ended up with because he went down to Egypt when he shouldn't have done. So the result of one sin results in another one. He gets a slave woman. And so he sleeps with her. And she becomes pregnant and has a son Ishmael. Which means God hears. Now, if you read Genesis 16 and verse 17 of this chapter, it says, God heard Hagar. God hears. Now, despite what's gone on and what's brought this about, God still listens. Now, you might imagine that God's not going to longer listen to you. But it's not true. These folk have done the wrong thing, the wrong way, in the wrong place, at the wrong time. They've got it all wrong. But God listened. Now he said to Hagar, because of his promise, God will multiply the descendants of Hagar and Ishmael into a great nation. Isn't that amazing? That of chaos and mistake, God says, I am going to bless you. Now when this mocking takes on, Ishmael's about 15 years old because when Ishmael is born, Abraham is about 10 years after he left, he's about 85 when Ishmael's born. Now he's 100 when Isaac's born. So my mass says he's about 15 or 16. Now Ishmael, to his half-brother, he just mocks him, laughs at him, jeers at him, ridicules him. He becomes the the butt of unholy wit. 
profane. And Sarah sees it. See, these two half-brothers are not going to be able to live in the same space. They're going to be bad news for each other. And God notices, and so does Sarah. And so there's tension now in this household because of the mistakes, because of the sins. It got very messy. So Sarah says to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Have you ever been involved in a family squabble over money and property? You know, where there's will, there's the relatives, right? I've been at the cemetery and these guys who are cousins, um, it was when Uncle Edgar died, great Uncle Edgar, my grandfather's brother. And no sooner as the coffin hit the bottom and these cousins are arguing about a will. Tension. Because of things that had happened in the Graham family in my grandfather's generation where promises were made and not kept. So there's tension. So the Bible says, The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to Abraham, Don't be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So Abraham has to do something he doesn't want to do. He's got got to get rid of this boy. So God continues, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. See, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Early the next morning Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent sent them on her shoulders and sent them off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Now Beersheba is still in Israel, so it's south of there towards the Suez Canal. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. She went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And she sat there nearby and she began to sob. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. It was not a drum of petrol. And God said, God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the desert, became an archer. And while he was in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. She's an Egyptian. She was a matchmaker. You see God's provision. These folks' lives are not perfect. They're human people. You know, God's promise to us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. These fellows have messed up big time. 
But it doesn't mean that God deserts him and leaves him in the lurch. Not in your life. And that's true for us. Regardless of how mixed up we are, it's true for us. So what can we learn? You know, fears are the stories we tell ourselves. Abraham told himself, if I say she's my wife, they'll kill me. And that was not true. Because God had promised, listen, Sarah's going to have a son within a year. See, fear is a liar. Someone said fear is the false evidence appearing real. See, Abraham said, look, as an excuse, these folk don't fear God. If I tell them the truth, they'll kill me. But it was not true. When God spoke to Abimelech, he got his attention straight away and he said, listen, God, I'm innocent in this. And he was. But to Abraham, you see, he thought, hang on, these guys are Philistines, but they did fear God and when Abimelech told all his officials they are frightened out of their wits so fear is a liar next we're going to look at this do not lay a hand on the boy he said do, you, do not do anything to him now I know that you fear God you know it takes 25 years from the time Abraham is called by God to this point. I don't know how many years later it is after chapter 21. But now Abraham is so convinced that he needs to trust God, to fear God, to do what is right. That's more important than anything else. In the New Testament it reasoned, he said, okay, if God promised that through Isaac, this is what's going to happen. But if I have to sacrifice him, God will bring him back to life. No hesitation. He's as solid as a rock. He no longer doubts the word of God. He's just going to obey it. Come what may. As costly as that may prove to be. You know, God said to Moses, select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God. Trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials. I was sitting with somebody yesterday afternoon and recounted a story where a man who was on a board and they had a board meeting and he was the only guy who turned up. They had a constitution that required a quorum. Required a quorum of four. So this man conducted the meeting, he passed the minutes of the last meeting and he made decisions and minuted them. And he was going to give a grant of money to some people where his son was. Now, board meetings don't happen every week. And I'm not too sure whether they were bi-monthly or once a quarter. But the next board meeting, here's the minutes of this one man and the decisions he had made and money had been committed and sent to a particular project. And when he's challenged, this is what he says, but there were four people. There was me, there was God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Now... That parachurch agency was committed to doing something which should never ever have happened. See, God says, select men who fear God. 
trustworthy, who hate dishonest gain. Now that guy was a leader in a church, considered to be a spiritual leader, but at heart he's not. He's not. He was a con artist. Think of Peter. He's in the courtyard. Jesus has been arrested. And he's there warming his hands by the fire. And this woman came and men don't listen to women's voices, they will trap us. And she said, Oh, you're one of them, aren't you? And we hate to disappoint a woman. It's a trap. He said, Oh no, 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 I'm not one of them. And the thing's repeated three times. See, Peter was a sand man, he's like us. So he's intimidated into lying. And now here he's writing a letter to a church or group of churches. And this is what he writes, he says, Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honour the king, emperor, president or whatever. See, Peter learned the hard way. And at the end of his life, he's rock solid. God has said to him, you're going to be a rock. He was quicksand initially. Chapter 3 of 1 Peter says, even if you should suffer for doing what is right, see, you had to learn that. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. Now what's the key to, to being truth sayers? In your hearts honour Christ as Lord. It's more important to honour God regardless of the consequences than tell lies. So the key to avoiding Abraham and Peter's lies honour Christ as Lord. Do you do that and do I do that? Is it more important for you today to leave here and say, come what may, I'm going to honour God. I'm going to be a truthful, honest, upright, straight down the line person. I'm not going to con, I'm not going to deceive, I'm not going to manipulate, I'm going to be a person who honours Christ. And you know that's more important than to be intimidated into telling lies to cover up the truth. Abraham learned that. In the end, Peter learned it. You know, but the interesting thing is, the Bible talks about the repercussions of our sins. And who's the next major deceiver that comes up in Abraham's descendants? Jacob. Now you think about it. What's going to be the repercussions of your sins and your children or grandchildren? How's it going to show up? Now God's gracious to Jacob. He's not stuck into that. But he has to work with him. You see, we don't, faith is not a private thing. It has repercussions. Long-term repercussions. Honour Christ as Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you won't say of us, you're of your father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning. 
Help us to reflect the fact that we are children of God. A God who does not lie. Lord, grant us the strength, the spiritual strength, the inner strength to be truthful, honest persons regardless of what that may mean or cost us. And so we pray that you might bless these very real examples to us that might inspire us to do what you want rather than to be plunged by fear into doing something which you don't want us to do. So grant us your grace to do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.